Good morning to you, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona. Welcome live out of the Common Workspace Studios. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenser on AM 1030 KVOI, the voice of the in-depth news, conversation, and talk about the people, ideas, and issues shaping Tucson's future. I am your host, Zach Yenser, and welcome, as we say around here, to all of our listeners, and of course, Matt making the magic happen on the other side of the glass. It is hump day, Wednesday. It's going to be a toasty one, but good morning to you. Thanks for being with us, Matt. As always, good morning. Happy Hump Day. Morning, Zach. We're uh, cresting the hill and heading down on the good side. Uh, the good side of the week. Absolutely. Yep. And tomorrow's Friday Eve, so the good news. The good news. Uh, Even better. Continues there. <laughs> uh, full show today. I'm looking forward to this one. We're going to kick off in just a moment with our faith and culture contributor, Pastor Jeff Logston, uh, and we are also with a, a special guest. Uh, alongside of us in studio. We'll tease that uh, a little bit more. We have Supervisor Steve Christie in at the bottom of the hour, fresh off of a um, a very full, sometimes spicy, supervisors meeting yesterday, Tuesday. We're going to talk about Pima County's poverty report, an affordable housing item, the new e-poll books and voter cards, and a task force to review Pima County's response to COVID-19 pandemic that didn't go through. So lots of conversation here just 24 hours out from a Pima County Board of Supervisors meeting. Uh, But let's jump into it. We always start with Pastor Jeff, our faith and culture contributor. Pastor Jeff, uh, who do we have with us today and and where's our conversation going to go? Yeah, Zach, I'm excited. Uh, Our listeners may already be familiar with Lisa Hansen. She is the founder and executive director for Power Over Predators. We met very recently. She's been in the community um, making waves for quite some time, but we've become fast friends and someone whom I've been endeared to in the work that she's doing. On the heels of our conversation last week related to the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, 40,000 churches within that association uh, there, there have been uh, reports uh, documenting, 300-page report documenting the uh, sexual assaults that have occurred and have been protected in the name of the gospel uh, of all things to try and further their purpose, and it's just come crashing down, th- thankfully. Mm-hmm. And I believe that uh, this conversation with mm-hmm. Lisa is very, very timely on the prevention side and educating our listeners for how we can respond to this in a more appropriate way, especially with our youth in mind. For sure. No, great introduction. And uh, Lisa, it's great to be with you in studio. Thanks for making the time. Uh, real quickly, share your story and how um, POP, POP, began power over predators. I imagine we're going to say that a while. So is it yeah. POP? Is it POP? Is it? How Just for the sake of time, we shorten it to POP. To yeah. POP. All right, we'll talk. So, so share your story and how POP began. Sure. Well, thanks for having me, and um, just thanks for the partnership that we have. Um, So just my story, real quick, born and raised in Tucson. Love it. Keep coming back. Anytime we've had to move away, we come come back. But my story, uh, it's interesting. My my father was a pastor, and so I was a pastor's child and um, raised in the church. And so for my story to end up where it did, it kind of shocked everybody because people don't think that um, we just don't want to talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But sexual abuse entered my life when I was four. 
And the way that I processed that abuse as a little girl was to just try to be the best little girl I knew how to be. And that way, if I don't disappoint people, then um, I won't ever be in trouble and all of that. Mm. And that led to just a a life of striving and performing. Mm. And when you're trying to maintain perfection, you just can't keep that up because none of us are perfect. Um, I ran away at 12 years old. I call it, I just flipped off the world and did an about face and uh, ran away. And that was what led me into my um, living on the streets for the next four, five, six years where I was trafficked. I was doing everything that I could do to survive. Ironically, though, I didn't feel like a victim because I felt like I was in control of the choices that I was making. And I believe that a lot of the times that people who suffer from any type of abuse um, are needing to figure out where they have control over. And so I felt like, well, these are my choices, so I'm in control here. Mm. Um, Although that wasn't the case. Um, I ended up um, getting pregnant with my first son at a really young age. And in my mind's eye, I thought, if I marry this guy, then maybe my life will get better. Maybe I'll stop living on the streets. Maybe I'll stop living this life. And... um, it's never a good idea to marry your abuser. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, after we had mar- my second son, the abuse got to the point where I just realized that we were in trouble. And so I had to run. I'm on the run again with my, my boys. And got to a safe place to where my parents had an open-door policy. So um, I knocked on their door with two little boys and said, can we come back? Mm-hmm. And uh, and they, the arms open wide, absolutely, wow. yes. So... I think the interesting thing, though, was that I didn't go into getting help for healing for myself. I went into performance mode again and said, I'm going to be the best mom that I can be. And thankfully, I was in the presence of my mom, and she observed that behavior and um, just kind of said, hey, I, I have a question for you. What do you believe about your worth? What do you believe about your value? Because if you don't have the right identity, then everything that you do you're going to end up feeling hopeless and lost again. It's going to come out in your relationships because she said you can't give what you don't have. And that completely changed my perspective because I realized that if I didn't love myself, if I didn't have any worth, how was I going to translate that to my kids or maybe Mm -hmm. to my future husband someday? And so it was really interesting because I went on a journey of personal healing, and it took me a long time. Um, As much as I thought I was in control, I realized that I wasn't. So... That journey of healing, I'm still on it. Okay, let's just be real. (laughs) Still on it. But um, it really, as I was looking at my boys and I was asking myself questions, just like, what could there have been something that would have maybe changed my life when I was little? Because nobody was having conversations. You know, everybody just saw how good I was being. They saw the behavior, so they didn't see the issues. They didn't see why I was behaving the way that I was behaving. So how could I help other kids who might be suffering? And it just, that's what inspired me to write Power Over Predators, and it inspired me to just take on the, um, just stay in the lane of prevention. Mm -hmm. Because if you can stop something before it starts, or if you can get to a child who is being abused but doesn't know how to get out, Mm -hmm. you know, prevention is also a a part Mm -hmm. of protection. 
Wow. So, yeah, so I've been doing prevention for over 20 years, but here in southern Arizona in Tucson, um, Power Over Predators has been presenting in schools since 2015. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and then our program has gone national, so we've got other organizations using it all across the country. Amazing. So it's really exciting. It's been a lot of fun. So, yeah, and wow. then it's just um, every school we've been in, we have kids coming forward that mm. are being abused. That's and so they're not getting, they'll come forward when we have the conversation. Right. But if we don't give them that conversation, the opportunity to have the conversation they are right. not going to come up to you and right. say hey i'm being abused and i need help if you just joined us you're listening to uh lisa hansen correct uh, the founder and executive director of power over predators and uh, we're, we're talking about uh abuse and and, and and sexual abuse unfortunately with some of our even you know littlest mm-hmm. uh population when we come back from a break i want to talk about because you just mentioned you're in schools you're hearing these stories uh would love to hear a little bit of the data quantitative qualitative right what, what are we what are you seeing among our youth how have these trends changed or increased during COVID? And then what does Power Predators do and partner with churches and organizations to help to help tackle this? So that's where we're going to go um, after a short break again with Lisa Hansen, founder and executive director for Power Over Predators. We're, we'll be right back. Uh, we're just partway through our regular conversation with our faith and culture contributor and guest, uh, Pastor Jeff Loxton. Supervisor Steve Christie is on the other side as well at the bottom of the hour. Uh, to talk about uh, what's going on in Pima County. We'll be right back, Tucson. Don't go anywhere. You're on 1030 The Voice. News at the top and bottom of every hour. 1030 The Voice. Trusted local news and talk. Tucson homeowners, do you have equity in your home and would like to sell, but are afraid that you won't be able to find a new place in this market? Well, you're not alone. That's why CNC Partners has put together an innovative way to make your next home dream come true. They work with local investors who can purchase your home for cash, pay above market value, waive the appraisal, and provide you with the option to lease your home back to you for 12 months until you can find a new home in the Tucson market. If you'd like to see what that cash offer might look like with no obligation, go to Tucson Cash Offer. In 1994, the University of Arizona took the bold step of acquiring an industrial park in southeastern Pima County and transforming it into a university research park. With over 25 years of success, Tech Parks Arizona continues to advance innovation. Whether it's the 70-plus startups at the University of Arizona Center for Innovation or the new Tech Park at the Bridges that houses the university's commercialization hub with several other projects coming out of the ground, they are integral in shaping the future of southern Arizona. Tech Parks Arizona moving innovation at the speed of business. School's out and summer's here. And now's the best time to come out in the evenings and catch Tucson's professional soccer team, FC Tucson, in action. We're back home June 11th for Forever Pride. Fireworks and a salute to the troops on July 3rd. Celebrating Tucson's birthday on August 20th. And don't miss our defending WPSL Desert Conference champions in action. The FC Tucson women have home games June 3rd, June 19th, June 24th, and July 1st. Tickets start at just $10. Get yours now at fctucson.com. 
Hi, this is Ethan Orr from the University of Arizona, where we apply science for sustainability and economic opportunity. At the Arizona Cooperative Extension, we focus on youth leadership, water conservation, and environmental health. If you'd like to find out more about urban agriculture, youth development, or creating a healthier environment, call me, Ethan Orr, at 520-621-0906, or visit us at extension.arizona.edu. Zach Yenzo here, and I'm so excited to be a part of the launch of the Little Love Burger as they're growing in Tucson, located just a few hours down from the Rialto Theater. Little Love Burger serves up the juiciest scratch-made hamburgers, loaded hot dogs, have ice cream milkshakes, lovable local brews, and the most addictive breakfast sandwiches. Little Love Burger is open Sunday through Thursday, 11 to 9, and Friday and Saturday, 11 to 10. You can follow their bee on Instagram and Facebook at Little Love Burger Tucson. Don't you want some burger to love? When you manage your money with a credit union, you're taking true ownership of your finances and how your money impacts the community. Stop letting banking just happen to you. Bring your money home to Vantage West. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, this is Tom Sullivan. Join me weeknights from 7 to 10 for the Tom Sullivan Show on 1030 KVOI, The Voice. And we're back, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona here live out of the Common Workspace Studios. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenser on AM 1030 KVY The Voice. We're with Lisa Hansen in studio, founder and executive director for Power Over Predators, uh, introduced to us by our faith and culture contributor, Pastor Jeff Loxton, as we look at issues at the intersection of faith and community, our faith and culture, church and community. Uh, Lisa, kind of... Um, a popcorn segment because there's so much to get through and I'm so curious. Um, can you share the need? You mentioned you're in schools and you talk about um, abuse and sexual abuse and provide a space for young people, too young, unfortunately, to come up to you and go, yeah, I'm in that space. What do I do? What are you seeing among our youth on this and how have these trends changed uh, during COVID? Mm. The first and foremost thing that I see that our youth are asking for is, can we please have this conversation? They want to have this conversation. So they need the opportunity to hear the truth. They need the opportunity to understand definitions of different types of abuse because we cover Mm. every range of abuse that a child can suffer that will lead them down a path that they Mm. don't want to go down. So we help prevent that by identifying what those things are. So they need this conversation more than anything. Um, I think the biggest issue with COVID was the majority of our kids ended up online. And um, so the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children reported a near 100% increase in online child exploitation. So the amount of reports that they're getting, they just there's no way that they're going to be able to get to this. And this is what everybody has a, a huge opportunity to do starting at home in, in safeguarding their kids, um, just preparing them for what what's going on online and how to identify a predator. It's really difficult to identify a child who's being abused, but it is m- much easier to learn what the signs of a predator are so that you can avoid getting into that relationship with them, even if it's a friend. Mm, it's crazy. It is. We were talking during the break about, and this is very micro, but but sexting mm-hmm. and how that starts and where it leads. I mean, this is going to be probably very real for our parents listening. Absolutely, parents really need and to grandparents, understand. Yeah. yeah, parents, grandparents need to be aware of just the the overall statistics. Say, one in four of our kids by the age of fourteen will have sent or received a nude photo of themselves or one of their peers. 
So what that means, if we were going to go into the definition of sexting, it is a form of child pornography that one in four of our kids are participating in. And the implications are they are five times more likely to attempt suicide as a result because it is a... Um, it is a form of abuse. It's sexual abuse. It is also a form of um, exploitation. And then when you partner with self-exploitation, mm. the psychological damage is just there. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but the... the uh you saw my bilingual in studio, our listeners did, and we were talking about sexting, and then we were talking about suicide. And I went, whoa, whoa that's, a, that's a big jump for me. How do mm-hmm, we get there? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it because of, sh- of shame of like, oh, I did this, and you know, now my privacy is no longer private? Or is it that they get into something that's more intimate maybe than they should be, and then when one of the partners kind of drops off, and uh, I mean, is it just a, a sense of loneliness of intimacy of broken relationship what causes that jump from sexting to suicide sure i think a lot of it has to do with a lot of what you just talked about there's different combinations we all process trauma a little differently but when it comes to the fact that what they're saying what the department of justice says department of justice says is that sextortion is by far the greatest threat to our kids today because it is the gateway into human trafficking it is the gateway into trafficking so We've got that issue, Mm. but then the threat of a child's images being exposed, Mm -hmm. um, the shame and the hopelessness combined, Mm -hmm. the fear of the fallout, what's going to happen, they just don't have any hope, and they are so afraid of what's going, what the consequences are going to be. So the thoughts and the suicidal ideation is what begin to take over, and what we want kids to understand is every day is a do-over, and yes, there's consequences to this, but this does not determine your value and whether or not your life has a purpose and that you can mm-hmm. keep going. And we also equip parents with skills to, if this is happening in your situation in your home and you find out that somebody has nude photos of your child, unfortunately those pictures are going to be out there forever, but there are steps that you can take to protect your child in the future. You want to get on their side. You want to team up with them. My goodness. Yeah. So, so in some ways, we're talking about a situation where a 13-year-old and a 13-year-old, you know, there's the online component, I would imagine, where Correct. there's someone maybe fronting as a teenager yes. and, 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 and saying, hey, let's go hang out somewhere. There's this park near my house, right? And that person is not a 13-year-old. It's an adult. But then there's, of course, the sexual abuse that happens where everybody knows who everybody is. Right. They're in an education setting, a, sadly a church setting, an right. institution setting where it's a 35, 40, 45, 50, whatever year old person. The kid knows it's an adult and the adult knows it's a kid. Right. And it's happening. We just saw U.S. Gymnastics, uh, the women's uh, team, I think, sue the FBI for a billion dollars this week for not investigating. Right. So we're talking about all of this right now, correct? Yes, all of it is combined. And I think, you know, just again, another thing that a lot of kids don't understand and parents don't understand and where a lot of misidentification comes into place is perfect example of a similar story that you were talking about. A young man was looking for a relationship online, 18-year-old, one Mm. of our highest achieving high schools. Mm. He had everything going for him that you could imagine met somebody this person had all the characteristics that they were looking for because their kids are identifying with relationships online instead of in person they feel like they know the person 
this person had um, convinced him that to show love, you can have sex virtually. And unbeknownst to him, this individual had been recording everything right. the whole time. Oh, my gosh. And then turning it around and selling it yep. while wow. this person thinks that he's developing a relationship. Sadly, what ended up getting the phone call for us to come to the school was Homeland Security was in the principal's office. No. And uh, asking about this young man. And um, and this young man was like, well, last night I was supposed to meet my boyfriend for the first time. And uh, they said, well, unfortunately, he's a, he's a trafficker. And we had he was planning on abducting you. And we were able to intercept. He's been arrested. He's in prison. Wow. You know, and so this... The trajectory oh, of his goodness. future, you know, just from that manipulation and being lied to. So that's another key thing is we teach kids what real relationships look like, how to develop a real relationship. Because if we don't teach our kids what relationships are, how they develop, and what a real one is, they're falling into all of these fake virtual relationships. So, yeah, he was not a 27-year-old guy interested in him. Mm. It was a 62-year-old wow. pedophile who had abused well over 2,700 boys, My ages goodness. from 7 to 12, and then even up to 18 at this point with this young man. God help us. Yeah. Man. So, I mean, we're, we're here with, um, with Pastor Jeff Loxton. Mm. Where can people... Um, there's people listening who may want to volunteer and say, how can I be a soldier, <laughs> you know, in this yeah. effort to fight against this? Um, or there might be people who are parents or grandparents and they want to know, how do I observe this? Maybe people like Pastor Jeff are with an organization that want to come alongside of you. How does all that work? And how can people get a hold of you and, and figure out how to be a part of this? It starts very simply. We have to get educated. Parents need to be educated. So that's why we've provided a website that is just full of every resource that you could possibly imagine, free training resources, uh, ways to have conversations with your kids. Mm -hmm. We need to um, really shore up our schools. We Parents can make sure that this type of information is provided to their students at these schools. Schools have our kids eight to 10 hours out yep. of the day. What are they doing to protect kids? Yep. And so parents have a really key role in that. Um, the faith-based community has an enormous role to play because Absolutely. they have the opportunity to reach out to people who are suffering and, and end up they're through those church doors needing somebody to see them and to know them and to love mm -hmm. them enough to say, we're here to help you with whatever it is you've experienced mm -hmm. in your life. So through Power Over Predators, just on the website alone, there's different subscription levels. There's free to just premium to all the way up to a team account. So schools wow. and churches and, and everybody can get educated. That website really quick is? Poweroverpredators.org. Super easy. Yep. Pastor Jeff leader of a faith institution, pastor, one minute, close us out. How, why is this important? What do you do about it? Yeah, again, we were talking last week about what had happened with uh, Southern Baptist Convention and how there was the attempt to hide the sexual assault in the name of furthering the gospel. It's not how it works. I'm thankful for the work that Lisa does. When I asked her how many churches are partnering with her, um, they're virtually non-existent. These mm -hmm. conversations wow. are things that we cannot be afraid of. Yes, sir. I don't have all the answers. I don't know anybody that does, but we need to be proactive and we need to seek out uh, organizations like Lisa to be able to help the people in our churches and in our communities. Powerful conversation. Let's close it there. C can't can't 
add anything on to that, Pastor Jeff. Pastor Jeff Loxton, pastor of Hope City Church, Lisa Hansen, founder and executive director for Power Over Predators. Thank you for this hard but necessary conversation and for spreading the word and let us know how we can keep supporting. Thank you. Appreciate you both. Thanks, Scott. On the other side of a break, uh, we'll have Supervisor Steve Christie with us on the Pima County Board of Supervisors. We'll talk Pima County issues after this. Don't go anywhere. School's out and summer's here. And now's the best time to come out in the evenings and catch Tucson's professional soccer team, FC Tucson, in action. We're back home June 11th for Forever Pride. Fireworks and a salute to the troops on July 3rd. Celebrating Tucson's birthday on August 20th. And don't miss our defending WPSL Desert Conference champions in action. The FC Tucson women have home games June 3rd, June 19th, June 24th, and July 1st. Tickets start at just $10. Get yours now at fctucson.com. In 1994, the University of Arizona took the bold step of acquiring an industrial park in southeastern Pima County and transforming it into a university research park. With over 25 years of success, Tech Parks Arizona continues to advance innovation. Whether it's the 70-plus startups at the University of Arizona Center for Innovation or the new Tech Park at the Bridges that houses the university's commercialization hub with several other projects coming out of the ground, they are integral in shaping the future of southern Arizona. Tech Parks Arizona, moving innovation at the speed of business. Tucson homeowners, do you have equity in your home and would like to sell, but are afraid that you won't be able to find a new place in this market? Well, you're not alone. That's why CNC Partners has put together an innovative way to make your next home dream come true. They work with local investors who can purchase your home for cash, pay above market value, waive the appraisal, and provide you with the option to lease your home back to you for 12 months until you can find a new home in the Tucson market. If you'd like to see what that cash offer might look like with no obligation, go to Tucson Cash offer.com. When you manage your money with a credit union, you're taking true ownership of your finances and how your money impacts the community. Stop letting banking just happen to you. Bring your money home to Vantage West. Federally insured by NCUA. Helping you make better money decisions is what the Ramsey Show is all about. Today at 1 p.m. on 1030 The Voice. And we're back, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona. Good morning to you. Welcome live out of the Common Workspace Studios. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenser on AM 1030 KVOI, The Voice, Daily In-Depth News, conversation and talk about the people, ideas, and issues shaping Tucson's future. I am your host, Zach Yenser, and we are uh, live now in studio with Supervisor Steve Christie, uh, who uh, represents uh, uh, Pima County uh, Board of... Uh, the, represents District 4 on the Pima County Board of Supervisors. It's been a couple months. I'm, I'm obviously rusty on that one. Good morning <laughs> to you. Well, good morning, and thanks for having me on. i got to get two quick shout-outs out of the way. Okay. One is to America's favorite mayor, the mayor of Sawadita, Tom Murphy, great American and a great friend, a great community leader. And I just uh, came to this interview from the Southern Arizona Home Builders Association, okay. they had coffee with a. Uh, I had coffee with the uh, board of directors, and I spent an hour with them. And uh, they are great community leaders. Uh, they're my heroes. They're fighting the good fight in their industry with all of the things they're having to deal mm -hmm. with, uh, costs, of rising costs of uh, materials and regulations. And uh, it was a real pleasure to spend an hour with them. And I, I'd like to do that every week if I could. But they're they're just terrific people, and I want to thank them for having me 
how do we help the home builders build more housing? This actually relates to something that I wanted to touch on. We, I think we need more housing built. And a large piece of that is making sure that the permitting regulatory process is as clean, streamlined, and necessary as possible. How do we help them build more houses? Well, first of all, is we have to have an inventory of property. If, if when you say how are we, I'm sure you, you could define we. Uh, how how can a how can a government entity do make the right policy to help home builders build more? Probably houses? for the government and uh, entity not to be involved and to stay out of the way. Um, there are issues uh, that we're, we discussed at the board meeting yesterday about affordable housing. Uh, uh, and open space purchases, uh, taking money from the general fund, some seven million dollars uh, was requested. But uh, my my biggest issue before we proceed on that level is if the county is going to be involved with uh, affordable housing, to, to what extent are they going to direct it? Are they going to um, uh, oversee it? Are they going to uh, bring in uh, re requests for bids or? who's going to be doing the operation and secondly we can't do anything until we get an inventory of county property uh, i've requested it a couple of times now requested it again yesterday and was told that it's in the process of being compiled so <laughs> it must be extensive and that worries me too if, if you look just up and down the street here of your studio uh... the building i'm in is a 22-story former Bank of America building, a beautiful edifice uh, owned by the county. The one across the street was the old, old Tucson Federal Savings Tower, owned by the county. To the north of that is the old Pioneer Hotel, owned by the county. And that's just downtown. So if the idea is to provide uh, properties for affordable housing development, we have to look at what properties are available. Secondly, if, it's, if they're undeveloped without any buildings on them, uh, are they located in places that could uh, could allow affordable housing? Would they be up next to a, a national park or a riparian area or sacred lands? Uh, just to uh, uh, willy-nilly put uh, $5 million out there for affordable housing without definitive or tangible uh, data to back up what, what it is that we have available, plus another $2 million to buy open land. Um, We've got plenty of open land with the with the Sonoran plan that's been in in uh, effect for a, a couple of decades now almost. Uh, what what land is available to purchase that would require uh, a purchase, and what are we going to do with that land? Is that land going to be converted for affordable housing, or is it a buffer, or is it a, uh, something just to be left alone with? So there were so many issues in that agenda item that were so unclear and undefined that um, uh, I think uh, the maker of it realized that as well and, and it was uh, put off for further discussion, particularly when we don't have an inventory compiled yet. Uh, we have Steve Christie with us, again, supervisor on the Pima County Board of Supervisors. Lots to talk about. Want to talk about poverty report, want to talk about e-poll books and voter cards, uh, and want to talk about a task force that was proposed to look at the impact of COVID-19 policies. So that's where we want to go today. Um, so I have one more affordable housing question. I want to save it to the end because uh, there's so much to, to get to. There was a report on poverty in Pima County that I believe was presented to the supervisors yesterday and I got to see that report uh, as I think most of the public got to either watching it or ahead of time as an, uh, as an attachment to the agenda. The problem seems to be getting worse uh, 
And I, I mentioned this on the show last week. It really feels like by the numbers that our children would be better off growing up in, you know, even like a Las Vegas or Albuquerque than Tucson, if you just look at the data, which made me upset. Uh, I have little kids here. Um, how, how do we solve poverty in Pima County? Is it, is, it, is it another report? Is it another plan? Don't we have enough of those? We do have enough of those. We, uh, it is another plan. Uh, I, I objected to uh, the, the narrow limits of the plan and the report that was asked to be generated. It was between the, a collaboration between the city of Tucson and Pima County. Uh, I did make the suggestion that perhaps uh, to uh, recognize and, and acknowledge that poverty is a regional problem, not just a city problem, not just Correct. a county problem, and consequently we have an uh, entity in place called the Pima Association of Governments, and that they are already defined to address uh, uh, um, associated governmental problems within our region in Pima County. They have a staff, they have the av available data, they have the ability to collect that data, to de define and decipher it and compile it. Uh, I see no reason to confine a poverty um, issue just between the city and the county. And I think it would keep Pima Association of Governments uh, in a position where they would be able to provide that information and make an analysis that's uh, 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 unbiased and, and transparent and it wouldn't require just a narrow vision of the city and the county. Um, also, I think, you know, we've been having issues with the city keeping involved with the Pima Association of, of Governments and particularly the Regional Transportation Authority. If the city were to participate in this study through the uh, Pima Association of Governments, uh, they might be more compelled to stay within the structure of PAG and RTA, which I think is essential. Um, uh, also, and I know you want to touch on it later, uh, the uh, Small Business Commission issues, um, they certainly touch very heavily and have their fingerprints on uh, poverty issues and, and their, uh, their ability to create jobs that could definitely positively, in fact, reducing poverty. Uh, there was a part that stood out to me of this poverty report. Um, and this might have been specific to the to the city of Tucson as kind of the anchor, you know, municipality of Pima County of the region. Even though this report is is Pima County wide, if not even regional wide, uh, children in Tucson tend to have annual household incomes of two to three thousand dollars less in adulthood than kids who grew up in the other eleven comparable western cities. That's a lifetime shortfall of eighty thousand dollars to one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. They cited a twenty eighteen number, and I think the number's probably only gotten worse in the last year and a half. Um, that there's only one city that has a higher poverty rate of the 11 or 12 we measure against, and that is El Paso. Whether you're talking about San Antonio, Las Vegas, Albuquerque, you know, Colorado Springs, Salt Lake City, the poverty rate is, is much less. We keep having this problem, and uh, I, f I, I think we know what has to be done to solve it. It's lower cost of living, better job opportunities. I, to me, I'm editorializing, I apologize, we don't need a report. That's the report. Mm -hmm. We need to do the work. Mm -hmm. We're not doing the work. Well, obviously, and this is nothing new. This has been in a situation, those st statistics you just cited have been uh, 
around in that very negative category for decades. And again, I've said this on this show before, and I'll say it again. You only have to look at who has been in power politically in Tucson and Pima County. And they've been the same ones, the same individuals, the same uh, rep uh, represented uh, uh, elected officials have been the ones that really are doing nothing or have done nothing to stimulate economic development. Uh, they they kind of give a, a window dressing on certain things, but all in all, uh, as was evidenced by the issue of uh, the Small Business Commission, which we'll get into later yesterday, um, there's real no, really no interest in job creation, and there's really no interest in uh, businesses and help, helping businesses create jobs and 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 helping people get out of poverty by providing jobs. And I, I, I blame it directly on the same people who have been in power in Pima County and the city of Tucson for decades. They're the ones that have uh, put, put a blind eye to that either on purpose or just by lack of interest or knowledge of business none of them have been business people and business is the is the core uh, root of growing jobs and take and when that happens people are able to leave poverty on our on the jobs report side again we are we are lagging the state we are lagging the nation. We are lagging our half of the state All of on COVID jobs recovery. Our business establishment growth rate is last in these number of cities. There, this is a nuanced issue. I don't want to ever be accused of simplifying it. But one thing I think we got to do a better job of in this region is creating jobs. Well, we can debate what kind of jobs. We got to go create jobs. Absolutely. And uh, if you were looking to relocate here as a business or to expand your business, uh, all you have to do is, is Google Pima County and look up uh, uh, governmental uh, entities, and you will see from the comments and from the from the articles that it is very clear that Pima County and the city of Tucson are anti-business. They are uh, uh, have made it very clear as well that they don't want to encourage more businesses and that they look at businesses as the enemy rather as than as something that can provide jobs, grow jobs that could bring people out of poverty. And we need jobs. Uh, Rosemont Copper and Hud Bay have been stalled by uh, extreme environmentalists for decades, um, and it makes no sense when we have a terrific economic development opportunity in the Rosemont and Hud Bay enterprises, uh, providing 600 jobs minimum for for many many years, plus all the peripheral jobs. This kind of of action is indicative of the of the approach that. The elected officials who have been in control and in power and under the influence of uh, their beliefs for decades, this shows that they don't really have a serious embracing of, of corporations or businesses or companies to come to Tucson. And, and as a company moving to Tucson, I wouldn't want to come here with, with that elect, uh, elected official cloud over, over the community. Mayor Kate Gallego, um, a Democrat, uh, a Democratic mayor in Phoenix, was asked, why is Phoenix uh, succeeding? She said, we have smart policies that, that help support and encourage, uh, I think she said, legacy business, small business, and large companies to relocate here. And that's, that's I thought that, that was a very, very wise statement. When we come back from a break, I want to ask you about an update on e-poll books and voter cards. 
And then uh, a task force was proposed to review Pima County's response to COVID-19. And that ties in with the policy. And that ties in. We're going to try to get to all of it. Uh, time is just always so short, Supervisor. We should really plan an hour next time. But we'll be right back after a short break. Don't go anywhere, Tucson. Supervisor Christie's with us for one more segment. We'll be right back. Local and national politics. The issues that matter to you. 1030 The Voice. Tucson's trusted local news and talk. The economy is moving forward, and Arizona businesses are looking at new opportunities and challenges as we emerge from COVID-19. Leading companies are planning how to respond to new business and rebuild their teams and are looking for critical talent now. The right talent in key positions will make all the difference, and having a trusted and dedicated talent acquisition partner will give you an edge. Devin and her team at Talent Store will connect you with top talent while positively impacting time to hire, retention, and your employer brand. Learn more by visiting yourtalentstore.com and schedule time with Devin and her team. Zach Yenser here, host of Tipping Point, and I want to tell you that Decibel Coffee Works is the coffee we drink at home and while we're out and about. Run by a great local team of people who care about the Tucson community, you'll find a variety of great coffee drinks, beans, pastries, and more. There's also a rumor ice cream is on its way in 2022. To see their full menu and varieties of roasted beans from around the world, visit DecibelCoffeeWorks.com and visit them at 267 South Avenida del Convento. Mention you heard about them on Tipping Point with Zach Yenser for 10% off your next order on anything you buy. Why I love where I live. It's a brand and movement that began here in Tucson to spark gratitude and celebrate the good things about where we live. Located in the open air Mercado San Agustin Annex, just west of downtown, it's a great place to shop or spend time with friends as you enjoy food, drink, and other shopping options close by. Find gifts, toys, books, and clothes that will help you celebrate where you live. Visit them at the Annex off the I-10 at Cushing and Avenida del Convento. Hi, this is Ethan Orr from the University of Arizona, where we apply science for sustainability and economic opportunity. At the Arizona Cooperative Extension, we focus on youth leadership, water conservation, and environmental health. If you'd like to find out more about urban agriculture, youth development, or creating a healthier environment, call me, Ethan Orr, at 520-621-0906, or visit us at extension.arizona.edu. This is Bill Buckmaster, Tucson City Councilman Paul Cunningham at noon on 1030, Tucson's voice for trusted news talk. And we're back, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona. Good morning to you. Supervisor Christie is with us in studio, updating us on a very busy meeting yesterday for the Board of Supervisors. Supervisor Christie, there was kind of a live demo, as I'm aware, of the new e-poll books system, the new election technology system that we'll be using for the midterm in the fall. Um, and then we also um, heard that, um, and, and Re- County Recorder Cazares Kelly said that the decision by the supervisors to delay a vote on the new redistricting by two weeks required her office to send out voter cards, um, a, a percentage of which were um, incorrect as soon as redistricting was completed. Um, and I think a lot of voters, for example, in Aura Valley are going to need to get new voter cards. doesn't mean you're disenfranchised, doesn't impact voting, but the information was correct. 
two topics. It was incorrect. Uh, what was that? The information was incorrect. Correct. It had the old district on because it had to be mailed out. Mm -hmm. um, so the recorder's office is saying. So two related but separate topics there. When you demoed the e-poll book system yesterday, as all the supervisors uh, did, I believe, um, uh, how are you feeling about the midterms coming up? Are you feeling better as you meet with the elections director? Well, f first of all, uh, going back to your first opening statements, um, it, it was said that the the cards went out because the supervisors delayed uh, re the redistricting uh, initiations. Um, the board of supervisors could get should get blamed for a lot of things, but that is not one of the things that should get blamed for as far as the voter registration cards going out because there, my understanding is there are, are no requirements for those registration cards to come out. That they, uh, that was a purely the decision of the recorder. Um, so the second thing is there, there is really no need for those uh, registration cards to have any deadline because you don't need them to vote. And uh, secondly, the recorder admitted that a good portion of them would be uh, wrong. And I think six and a half percent. Uh, I heard it's more like fourteen percent, wasn't it? But in any event, uh, there's going to be a quite a bit of expense involved in, in uh, refurbishing the erroneous cards. But uh, to your second question about the demonstration, it was interesting. Um, the e-poll books, you know, they they. I was a, uh, uh, a guinea pig on the, mm -hmm. on the issue, and I saw how it worked. Your picture was on the Pima County Facebook page. You, oh. were, you <laughs> were literally the guinea pig <laughs> that was shown. Um, and then they printed out my ballot uh, right there mm. in the room. Uh, I still am concerned on a number of things. Uh, are they going to get all the uh, printers in on time? I think they're looking for 165 of them, and I think a handful of them only are here. I'm worried about internet connectivity. Even their IT specialist uh, said that there were some issues with uh, some of the most remote uh, uh, polling centers, uh, particularly on the nations. And those uh, those issues of uh, polling centers on the nations was a one that was front and center about why uh, we needed these polling centers so people were not suppressed from voting. Yet the biggest issue we have is going to be on the internet end and those areas are terribly underserved with uh, lack of internet connectivity. So um, I think that the uh, new elections director has done uh, a very good job of being available and answering questions to the best uh, that she can and um, I'm just hoping uh, that everything will run smoothly but uh, there are numerous uh, uh, breaking points throughout the whole system that uh, ver very easily could topple it. Uh, I certainly don't want that to happen, but it's not as if uh, um, people haven't expressed their concern over it as I have. I wanted to um, ask you a question as well. We're flying through a number, through a number of, of topics. The, there was a proposal written by the Small Business Task Force to commission a third-party study, basically, to review Pima County's response to COVID-19 pandemic um, on small business, economic activity, health, and education. You were the only supervisor to vote for that. Your other colleagues voted against it. It was. I even brought it to the it board. It was to be about, what, $750,000. Uh, debrief us on that, your take on why that would have been valuable and, and why it didn't happen. Well, 
going back uh, during the pandemic, the Small Business Commission was the only commission that was allowed to operate and function and meet because it was considered an essential commission. All the other ones were disbanded during the, the pandemic. So at least there was that acknowledgement of the importance of the Small Business Commission, which represents, I think, the backbone and the blood and the vim and vigor of our community. Um, small businesses and they work very hard and are very passionate and they're all business owners or re involved in a business setting um, and they are all volunteers they are not paid they have a very dedicated and passionate belief about uh, supporting small businesses and they have been working on this issue for some time and I agreed to bring it before the board uh, and we did it yesterday's meeting and it was basically um, a post-mortem, if you will, of what, what what transpired during the pandemic as far as the, the Board of Supervisors' actions, including mandates uh, and policies and regulations and restrictions that the Board imposed on small businesses uh, to see uh, what, what effect they had both negatively and positively on the Small Business Commission. And because these individuals, these commissioners, uh, have to run a business, it was important that they have someone, uh, a consultant, a qualified consultant that would go through the procurement process to gather and provide that information. They, they don't have the time to do it. <laughs> and secondly, by having, as you say, a third party, it lends itself to the credibility of the report because it's not tainted or, or uh, biased by any other entity. And it makes perfect sense to do that. And my colleagues, again, who are basically anti-business, uh, and I, th I thought it uh, a number of points rather derisive to the commission, and um, uh, uh, they basically deflected a lot of the issues because I believe that my colleagues do not want anybody analyzing what the county did during the pandemic. They don't want that information brought out. And one of the... Uh, uh, conjectures by one of my colleagues was well the county can provide you with all that information you don't need an outside consultant well if the if the if the community finds out that the county is the one providing the information to the small business commission report there's going to be no uh, confidence that there that this was an unbiased transparent third party issue so to say, well, we can provide, you're the one we're going to be analyzing, county. You can't be providing us the information because we're looking at you for what happened and what didn't happen, what was good and what wasn't bad. You're going to provide the information, uh, conceivably, that's going to make the county look good. So it was a disappointment on, on my part. It was a disappointment on the commissioners who have worked so hard and so diligently for many months on this program, and it made perfect sense, and it would be paid by ARPA funds, which is most appropriate because, it, after all, this all deals with the pandemic, and it's a one-shot uh, contribution of money uh, from ARPA, and it, it, so it's not going to be renewed every year as an ongoing project like most other governmental commissions end up that's being uh, institutionalized. So it was it was sad, but it was also telling because uh, my colleagues really, uh, I think, uh, showed their true colors when it comes to supporting the business community, which obviously they don't. 
If you're just joining us, we're with Supervisor Steve Christie, represents District 4 on the Pima County Board of Supervisors. I had four topics to talk with you about uh, from yesterday's meeting. We covered in some at some level all four. As and I, oh, this also, this business commission, that really ties into the poverty issue as well. Oh, that's right. Because if you can't uh, get uh, jobs and, and growth through the Small Business Committee, uh, through the Small Business Commission, I mean, how can you affect poverty? And by the way... I love being supervisor. I, I was just gonna. I was just gonna ask because I have to every time. Supervisor Steve Christie, thank you. Uh, encourage people to contact your office and other uh, other supervisors as well. Let's let's keep the conversation going. You bet. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Steve. We'll be back tomorrow, Tucson, Thursday, same time, same place. You hit up next, Bo Buckmaster at noon. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.